If you have your Bibles, open them to Genesis chapter 37. We are starting a new series today on the life of Joseph, and I'm entitling it Perseverance. And we're going to look at the life of Joseph and how he had to persevere towards grace and how in the process of that he had to overcome some struggles that he had with pride in his life. I I never will forget the day when Coach Mark came up to us. I was a track runner in high school and He came up to us and he said, all right, guys, uh, today we're going to take it up a notch. He he talked unusually. One of these days I have to bring him here. He's a a minister now. I actually went to his ordination about a year ago. And so he says, okay, guys, uh, go get in the back of that pickup. So we all hop in the back of his pickup and he gets in the driver's seat and he just starts driving. I mean, nowadays he would get arrested for that, but he just starts driving, goes off school campus, and then just keeps on driving, and we're in the back of the pickup going, where is he taking us? Finally, he gets us out in the middle of nowhere, and he pulls over to the side of the road, and he goes, guys, get out, get out. We're like, what? Get out. So we get out. He says, the school is that way. Y'all just start running. And so what could we do? I mean, all we could do is just start running straight ahead. And it was about 50 degrees out. It started raining in the process. It was an absolute miserable thing, but all we could do is persevere and, and try to make it back to the school. After several miles, we actually were getting so tired, some of us started walking. And the townspeople there in Keller were so motivational. They would stop and they'd roll down the window and say, you guys are never going to win a track meet if you walk like that. And I'm like, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. That, that, that helped helps us a whole lot, you know, but eventually we persevered and we we got back to the school. Uh, Think about a moment in your life where you had to persevere. You were put in a situation, it might be small like what I was talking about or something big in your life, but you had no choice but to persevere. What does the word perseverance mean? Well, I asked my assistant this week, Siri, what perseverance means. And and Siri says that perseverance is persistent determination. Now, Webster would be rolling over in his grave because she used the word persistent in the definition of perseverance. But uh, persistent determination. We are determined and we continue to go forward in our persistence. And so in this series, we have four goals that I want us to, to gain here. The first is this. I want us to learn more about this man called Joseph. Uh, As we learn more about the Bible, Joseph is one of those characters that if you didn't grow up in church, you may not know very much about Joseph. A fascinating character within the Bible, and I think you'll see so many lessons from his life thousands of years ago that are still very applicable to our lives today. Secondly, I want us to see as we look at Joseph's life that each of us have to make the decision. In life, am I going to ride pride or am I going to embrace grace? It's very difficult to do both. Am I I going to ride pride and that's going to be the way in which I operate through life or am I going to embrace grace in life? Thirdly, I want us to see that even though your life may hit pain, goodness and joy and opportunity can still be found whenever we persevere in wisdom. And then fourth, I want us to worry less. Does anybody have problems with worry? I know I struggle with that sometimes. Okay, so let's worry less and hope more. 
Because as we look at Joseph's story, we're going to see that our life story is never bigger than God's sovereign story. So verse 1, chapter 37. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. These are the family records of Jacob. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brothers. The young man was working with the sons of Bilah and Zilphah, his father's wives, and he brought a bad report about them to their father. Now Joseph is the great-grandson of Abraham. Abraham, one of the most significant figures in history. In fact, three different major world religions trace back to Abraham. He's sometimes called Father Abraham. Had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. Some of you remember that that song. Abraham was also very, very wealthy, and so that wealth was then transferred to the coming generations. Joseph grew up in a family that was a dysfunctional mess. Sometimes we think that because somebody is a Bible character that their life was just really good and they grew up in this great home. But no, Joseph grew up in a a family that was just a mess. Jacob, his father, had 12 sons. And he had those 12 sons with four different women. Okay, Now, polygamy was legal there. He was married to two different women. That doesn't make it right, but he was married to two different women, Rachel and Leah. They were also sisters, so he was married to sisters. A whole new meaning to sister wives, right? So he was married to them, and then he also had two concubines who were their slave girls that he couldn't marry, but he had a marital-type relationship with them. And from those four women, he had 12 sons. You can imagine what the home life was like. Well, now, some of Joseph's brothers were slackers. And so when they were out in the field watching the sheep, they would be playing Xbox, they'd be texting girls, drinking on the job, doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And so Joseph goes to the HR department, and he sends a bad report about the way in which his brothers are working, and the HR department happened to be his dad. So he gives a bad report about his brothers, and naturally that doesn't go over real well with his family. Verse 3, now Israel and Jacob and Israel are the same guy, all right? So now Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age, and he made a robe of many colors for him. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. So Joseph is born to Jacob, and Rachel was his mother. Rachel was the love of Jacob's life. He had worked many, many years to win her hand in marriage. Uh, Even though he had these other women, Rachel was the woman that he truly loved, and Joseph was his first son that he had with her. And so it was a really big deal when Joseph was born. And I think Jacob and Rachel wrapped the baby Joseph in bubble wrap. I think they wanted to make sure that he didn't get hurt. They put him in a gold-plated crib. They, Whenever he was a little boy, they wanted to make sure that he had 
everything he could possibly have. At the age of five, he got his first MacBook Pro. At the age of seven, they brought him an iPhone 5S. At the age of nine, they brought in Circus Soleil for his birthday party. At the age of 16, they got him a BMW chariot. They wanted to make sure that Joseph had everything he possibly could have. And I don't think it was their intention to spoil him. I mean, nobody holds that little baby in the hospital and says, oh, aren't you cute? We're going to spoil you rotten and send you off into the world totally unequipped to deal with the pressures of the world. But they had spoiled Joseph. And even though they had built within him some integrity, and and we see in his life that he had a a certain amount of God-centeredness, he had had some significant problems with pride and, and being spoiled and not knowing how to relate to his brothers and, and just relate to the world in general. Mom and dad had just given him too much. Now, thankfully, that never happens today, right? Never, especially not in the North Dallas suburbs. That never happens that we spoil our children and they go off into life not, not totally equipped. Aren't you glad that doesn't happen, Paul? Absolutely, me too. So let's move on, since that doesn't apply to us, okay? Uh, Verse 5. Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, listen to this dream I had. There were binding sheaves of grain in the field, and suddenly my sheaf stood up, and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Are you really going to reign over us, his brothers asked him? Are you really going to rule us? Basically, they're saying, really? This is your dream? We gather around you and bow down to you? And so they already didn't like him, and now the Bible says they hated him even more because of his dream and what he had said. Well, evidently, Joseph didn't get the message because in verse 9, he has another dream, and again... He goes off and tells it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. So basically he's saying, mom and dad and all of you guys are are bowing down to me in my dream. So he tells his father and brothers, but his fathers rebuked him. His father rebuked him saying, what kind of dream is this that you have had? Are you your mother, are you your mother and brothers and I going to come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him. Now Jacob had been through a lot with God and Jacob had had to, had to go through a lot of pride issues himself and so he he realized that God's hand was on Joseph. He also realized it wasn't smart for Joseph to be going around telling his brothers about this dream so he rebukes him. But at the same time, the Bible says in verse 11, his father kept the matter in mind because there's something really going on that, that was valid here, and that is that Joseph did indeed have a dream from God. God had shown Joseph that part of his plan for Joseph's life was that he was going to be the leader in his family. Now, that was countercultural because Joseph was 11th in line. In that culture, the 11th child never became the patriarch of the family. And so God was showing Joseph right up front, my hand is on you, I have a plan for your life, this is God's dream for you. But see, the problem was, is that Joseph, who as a young man 
was wrestling with pride. He, he, he didn't know how to keep this to himself. He didn't know how to process it. And so he goes off and he tells all of his family, I'm going to rule over you. You're going to bow down to me. Not recommend it. It's not going to make Christmas better whenever you do that. Okay? Verse 12. His brothers had gone to pasture and, and to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Your brothers, you know, are pasturing the flocks at Shechem. Get ready. I'm sending, them, I'm sending you to them. And Joseph replied, I'm ready. So get the picture here. Uh, Jacob is making his teenage son, Joseph, the field boss. Okay? Joseph's about 17 years old the youngest of the brothers, and Jacob is sending them out, sending him out into the field to kind of be the boss and to keep an eye on them and to bring back a report. Now remember earlier, Joseph had really endeared himself with his brothers whenever he gave them a bad work report. So for Jacob to send Joseph out again, he was really setting him up for, for a difficult moment. And we have here a classic father-son moment. Because the dad, Jacob, comes into his son and says, get ready. I'm about to send you out on a, on a trip. You're going to be the, the field boss. And so you need to get your stuff in order. You need to gather all the papers that you need. You need to get the animals and all that. You need to clean your room. Just get ready, okay? And, and Joseph's immediate reply, is, immediate reply is, I'm ready. I'm ready to go, dad. Send me out. I'm, I'm good to go. I, I don't need to do anything. You know, neither man realized that this was the last time that things were ever going to be normal in their household. They were at the crossroads of life, and I don't think either one of them really realized just how significant this moment really was. Ed Young, a pastor over in Grapevine, has a cool definition of parenting that stuck with me over the years. He said, parenting is training and teaching your children to leave. (laughs) I like it. You're training and you're teaching your children to be ready to leave and go out into this world and be equipped to handle the pressures that, that, that come about. And parents, let me ask you this question. Grandparents, aunts, uncles, what is it that you are stuffing into the backpacks of your children's lives? As they get ready to go out into the world, as they get ready to face the challenges that, they, that God has for them, what is it that you are putting in that backpack? Are you stuffing their backpack with selfishness? Are you stuffing their backpack with things and materialism? Are you stuffing their backpack with respect, integrity, godliness? What is it as you try to really prepare your kids to leave What is it that you're really trying to put into the backpack of their life so that as they go out into the world, that they are equipped and they are ready to handle the pressures of life? Now, in Joseph's mind, he was ready. He was ready to go be the boss. He he was ready to take the tiger by the tail. He, He was ready to go. I don't think it ever entered his mind what was ahead. Look at verse 17. Uh, down the last half of verse 17. Joseph set out after his brothers, and he found them at Dothan. 
and they saw him in the distance, and before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. And they said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Now, I don't know why, but for some reason in my mind, I I read that little section of scripture, and I picture the Dothan biker bar. (laughs) You know, all of his brothers have their Harleys parked out front, and they're wearing leather, and they're shooting pool, and the music's loud, and maybe they're a little bit intoxicated, and and their, their lookout sees Joseph coming up that way, and he comes back and says, hey guys, here comes the dreamer. Let's, and in their state of mind, they're like, well, let's kill that guy. Now, how far had this family relationship devolved to the point where brothers were willing to hurt one another and, and physically kill each other? So Joseph walks in, technicolor dream coat and everything. I mean, he's got the robe. I mean, young guy, here I am to be the boss. And in verse 20, the brothers say, come on. Let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And we can say that a vicious animal ate him, and then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to save him from them, and he said, let's not take his life. Reuben also said to them, don't shed blood. Throw him into this pit in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Here was Reuben's intention intending to rescue him from their hands and return him to his fathers. Now let me just take an aside here and talk a little bit about Reuben. If it were not for Reuben, Joseph's dreams would have been lights out because they would have killed Joseph whenever he walked into the scene. But Reuben is also a classic example in the Scriptures of somebody that had a lot of potential a lot of leadership ability that never reached their full potential. And the reason why Reuben never reached the enormous potential that he had is because beneath the surface, Reuben had character flaws. He was was the oldest son. He was in line to receive the greatest share of the inheritance. He would become the patriarch of the family. He was supposed to be the leader of the brothers. But Reuben struggled with sexual issues. Now his father struggled with the same things, and so it was one of those things that had kind of been passed down to his line, but he struggled with his sexuality, and in fact he he slept with his stepmother, Dan and Naphtali's mother. And and he slept with her and, and probably had kind of a series of this kind of illicit behavior. So in Genesis chapter 49, Jacob talking about his son Reuben. Here's Jacob's assessment of Reuben. He says, Reuben, you excelled in power and prominence. You're a powerful man. Reuben was probably a good-looking guy. He was a prominent man. People looked to him and said, I want to be like him. He excelled. He had all the virtues that you would look for in a leader. But then Jacob says, but you are as turbulent as water. Beneath the surface, the waters of your passion are churning. Beneath the surface, sin is churning. And so even though there's all this potential, all this ability, Reuben never completely achieves what God could have done in his life because of the sin that was reigning in his heart. And so the end result is that as a leader, he always came up short. 
Verse 23. When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off his robe, the robe of many colors that he had on, and then they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. And then they sat down to eat a meal. And they looked up, and there was a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. And their camels were carrying uh, aromatic gum, balsam, and resin going down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him. For he is our brother, our own flesh. And, and they agree. So I think maybe uh, during the meal they maybe sobered up. They came to their senses. They came to the realization uh, we're not going to profit by selling him or, or killing him. Why don't we try to make a little bit of money off of him and spare his life? And so verse 28, when the Midian traders passed by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites who took Joseph to Egypt. Isn't it amazing how quickly life can change? The brothers sat down to eat a meal. And as they were eating their meal, Joseph went from hipster to grunge. He went from dreamer to survivor. He went from boss to slave. He went from living a life in the lap of luxury to living his life in the pit of despair. He went from the arms of his family to the hands of strangers. He went from the warmth of home to the coldness of exile. Just in a moment, everything changed. His dreams changed forever. You see, there are moments in life, and, and we'll all have these moments. They come in different shapes and different sizes, but there are moments in life where our dreams are just splattered, where we sit in the hospital room and the line goes flat. When the career crumbles, when the marriage tumbles, when, when friends betray us, when children go astray. It doesn't take long. In, in just a few moments, our dreams can turn into nightmares. Joseph, I, I've got good news for you. And I've also got some bad news for you. The good news is you're still alive. They didn't kill you. You're still taking in air, taking up space. You're alive, Joseph. But the bad news is, you're still alive. You're hurting so bad, you wished you were dead, but you're still alive. The good news is, Joseph, God's dream for your life, it's still alive. The dream that he gave you as a young man, that, that dream's still alive and well. God hasn't changed. But the bad news is your dreams for your life are shattered. The way that you wrote the script, the way that you thought it was supposed to go, the picture that you drew, that picture is gone. The good news, Joseph, is that there is, there is joy and there is goodness and there is opportunity and there is love ahead. But the bad news is that everything that you knew, everything that you loved, everything that brought comfort to your life, all of that is gone. Joseph, you're alive. You've got to persevere, but you're hurting. How are you going to go forward, Joseph? 
How are you going to keep living? You see, Joseph had arrived at the pit of despair. But God's dream for his life was still alive and well. And in the coming weeks, we're going to see how Joseph was destined to become a great man. How this dream that he had as a 17-year-old boy, it, it would become reality. But for that to happen, Joseph was going to have to reach a point where he took off the coat of pride and he put on the coat of humility. Here's the question that I want you to take home. I want you to wrestle with this. I want you to deal with this in in your life. And the question is this. How are you persevering through the pains of your life? Pain is one of the common denominators of being alive. We all face pain. We all face loss. We, We all have to go through difficult circumstances. How are you persevering through the pains in your life? Are you trying to persevere through those pains in pride? Are you trying to persevere through those pains with humility? Are you taking the ride of pride or are you embracing grace? You see, here's what happens a lot of times whenever our life collides with pain. We say to ourselves, I'm going to white-knuckle my way through. I'm a competent person. I'm capable. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to get there. If somebody gets in my way, I'm going to run over them. I'm going to deal with this. I will make it through. And and then we try and we push and we say, I can do this. I'm I'm a self-made man. I can make it. And we try harder and harder and harder. And for every accomplishment that we achieve in life, there's this mess over here that we have to clean up. And the efforts are only matched by our frustration. We work and work and work and work, and it just just never seems to, to ever get done, and we're just always frustrated. Instead, we put on humility and we embrace grace, and we realize that that doesn't mean that we don't have to work. It doesn't mean that it doesn't take effort that, hey, I'm a Christian, so I'll just sit here until Jesus comes. But when we embrace grace, We realize that even though I don't understand everything, even though things are bigger than me, that that's okay that there are things out there that are bigger than me because my God is also bigger than me. And I can place my trust in Him. And what happens is even though the life that I'm living right now is not the script that I wrote, and even though there's a lot of things that that crush me and, and bring tears to my eyes, that even within my reality, I see that there is goodness and there is joy and there's love and there's opportunity and it's right in front of me. And I I begin to realize that, that my story is actually a part of his story. And I live my life in faith rather than self-sufficiency. And I find that God can fill me. That God can bring joy and passion and new beginnings to my life when I trust Him. You see, at some point in our lives, we have to quit asking the question, God, what are you doing to me? And instead, we have to start asking the question, God, what are you doing in me? 
Because when we realize that God is molding us and shaping us, that's when our life really reaches a point of significance. Because that's whenever we're able to love God and love one another and love others. And we can become the man, the woman, the leader, the person that God wants us to be. When we realize that your heavenly Father is doing a work within your heart and can take the story that you're living right now and use it for His great grace and glory. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and we come to a time of commitment? The band's going to come and they're going to lead us in a song. And during that song, you can sing with them. Maybe you feel led to pray and you can just sit at your seat and pray. I'm here at the front if there's anything I can pray with you about. Uh, Maybe today you need to embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the first time. And I would love to help you with that. Perhaps you're a thinker. You like to journal and write out your thoughts and as the band leads this song, you just need to be seated and, and write out some of the ways that God is speaking to your heart right now and how He's working in your life. I'm going to lead us in a prayer and then, then we'll sing. Father, I, I bow before You and it's such a, a difficult thing to talk about because I realize that in this room there is a depth of pain that I haven't experienced. There are people in this room that have gone through things in life that are really crushing. And so, Lord, we do pray for you to be a God of comfort, a God of healing. And, Lord, we're also mindful that from this story we realize that even in our pit of despair, that your dream for our life and your dream for your creation is still alive and well. And so, Father, I I pray that we won't try to be you. That we won't try to fix everything and try to put everything back the way we think it's supposed to be, but instead, Lord, may may we learn to live in the chaos and, and sometimes even learn to live in the shatteredness. And realize that there is beauty right in front of us. There is joy and there is opportunity. There, there is love right in front of us. And from, from the pit that is in our heart, there are moments where we can relate to other human beings and connect with them on a very, very powerful level. And so I pray, Lord, that we might persevere through the pain of life Embracing grace, trusting in you, and realize that even though so many things in life are beyond our control, you are good, you are loving, and you've got this. You are our Heavenly Father. We love you, and we worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen.